time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. You ever feel like you're on that uh, diet roller coaster, or maybe even the fitness roller coaster, where you jump on maybe the latest diet or some diet that you found? And maybe it works for a bit and then you find it stops working or maybe you find that you're exercising and you keep having to add more and more time in order to get to some standard for yourself. Uh, There are a couple of pieces to that. One is the fact that our bodies tend to adapt pretty quickly to what we throw at them, which means that sometimes we get diminishing returns when we keep adding on. The other piece of that is that these references are often from external places, you know, the places where we somehow learned what we're supposed to look like and who we're supposed to be. This is something that plagues all of us. It particularly plagues women. And so today, my guest is going to talk with us a little bit about some of the failures of this industry, of the diet and health industry. Tracy Gluhatch is a certified health coach. She has been for seven and a half years, and she's been helping women particularly to uh, give up on those goals and the places where they might feel uh, their voids in their life with food. And she tries to find another way. She helps to fix broken metabolism and how oftentimes the food is used to substitute for other things in our life. Now, one of the things that is true is Tracy used to be what she calls the cardio queen, and she had her own issues before she discovered some other ways around this. She's an integrative health coach, personal trainer, fitness instructor, and she says she's not perfect, but she is certainly passionate about one approach, the ketogenic diet. She's also passionate about strength training and self-care. Tracy believes it's possible to age stronger and in health rather than in sickness. The way she challenges the current dogma is by creating a strong body and a sharp mind. And she supports and coaches her clients every step of the way and has a recent book called No Frickin' Way, and way is W-E-I-G-H. Tracy and I have a chance to talk about lots of different topics. Hope you'll tune in as I have a chance to chat with Tracy. Tracy, thank you so much for being here. This is really exciting because you're talking about something that's really important to people about how you move to a healthier place. And a lot of times we get sidetracked thinking we're chasing health and really we're, we're just creating more problems. So I'm really excited to hear from you about um, how you got to, to into this place where you've kind of figured out a, a new path. So uh, Tracy, first of all, uh, thanks for being here. Second, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got kind of to here. And then we'll talk about what here is. Well, thank you, Lee, for having me. I'm super excited to be on your show and connect with you and share this message to all your listeners. Um, Basically, the way I got to this point, I'm 53 now, and my journey began when I was about 10. And my parents got a divorce, and my dad basically was shaming my mom for her weight. And so at that time, I equated thin with love. And so forever and ever and ever, I was chasing skinny. And I'd be on diets, off diets. I developed multiple eating disorders. I would be over-exercising and punishing my body, always, always in that quest for thin. And fast forward decades, I finally saw, like my dad, when he was 53, he ended up having a triple bypass. And 
then my mom, like she was on medications for, you know, blood pressure, cholesterol, depression. And my parents were both just very, very sick. And it made me realize that, you know, I don't want to go down the path that they're going down. And I needed to change things up. I was never satisfied with the way I looked. And I was just always striving to, you know, find that ideal. And I'd be on diets, off diets. And so I realized that, wow, this is totally the wrong thing. And I started studying nutrition back in 2007 and really understood about feeding my body the foods that it needs to thrive and not depriving it and, you know, starving myself and breaking my metabolism and, you know, overworking out and destroying myself because I was always in physical therapy with shin splints and patellar tendonitis and just beating myself up. And I kind of had this like epiphany, like, you know what? I need to treat myself the way I would treat one of my children and love myself the way I love my kids. And so I really changed the trajectory that I was on. I got rid of the scale. I hardly never weigh myself. And I decided to focus more on my lifestyle practices with food and movement and self-care and stress reduction and all of those other things that show love to myself and just change my mentality instead of like always depriving myself, trying to lose weight to aging stronger and healthier and happier. And that's kind of like a nutshell of how, how far I've gone along this path. So I just want to step back for a minute um, and talk. You, you made a, a powerful statement um, that what you learned in your family is skinny equals love. Mm-hmm. And just to broaden that out a little bit in culture, I mean, I think that that is true for lots of people that have that equation. Um, it seems to me, though, that a lot of times uh, skinny equals OK, not just love, but I mean, um, with all of the magazines and all the media out there, I mean, Instagram now um, makes us uh, very self-conscious that we're not OK unless we are some uh, external ideal and. Uh, that's a powerful message for us to recognize that you were taking that in. You said at 10, your parents divorced. You already had that message in you before that. Yeah, they were they were constantly on every diet. I remember my dad said to my mom, if you ever get fat again, I'm leaving you. And at the time, I'm thinking, gosh, well, I didn't think it thin, but I'm in reflection. It's like, gosh, dad, have you looked in the mirror lately? You know, like <laughs> that you have never been thin. Like, you know, so... It was just pretty crazy. But yeah, they, they raised me on diets. Like I remember when they were, I was probably like eight and they were on Atkins and I loved it because I love this big salad with cheese and, you know, all this great stuff and salami and, but then alternately, you know, they would have, you know, kid, I call it kid cuisine because I raised my kids on that. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, so, but yeah, I've always had that problem until I saw them going and being very sick. My dad has now had cancer, like I think four times. My mom now has Alzheimer's and Hashimoto's disease. And so my genes are stacked against me, but I am determined to not let those genes be expressed. Mm, Yeah. Which is a whole nother topic of genetics versus epigenetics, (laughs) you know, the the epigenetics of how we control that externally. And you've changed a lot of that. So, just for clarification, let's talk about, you talked about breaking metabolism. What does that mean for somebody to break their metabolism? 
Okay, so that's my term. I just made it up. (laughs) (laughs) But what it means is chronic dieting and deprivation will slow your metabolism down because your body's really smart. So even over-exercising will slow your metabolism down. Mark Sisson came out with a book maybe a year or so ago that talks about this, that chronic over-exercising, your body will adapt to it. And so it will slow your metabolism down. And what I believe is we need to build it back up. We need to let our body use food for the fuel that it needs to thrive. Like our cells need nutrients so that when they renew and divide every hour, that they're healthy cells, not sick cells. So you tied into that, the uh, chronic cardio kind of stuff and noted (laughs) yourself uh, of being caught in the chronic cardio. I think most of us are aware of uh, people around us, maybe even, even ourselves that, um, you know, are hitting the treadmill and just kind of going and going and going. And the treadmill may be running or biking or whatever else. What is the effect of that? Um, if uh, we've been led to believe that cardio is it for a long time, but what's the effect of that chronic cardio? You talked about your own body breaking down. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of, um, what happens to our body in that process? Well, it's just not as effective as other forms of movement. If you're going to spend time in the gym, I say spend, if you have a a minimum amount of time, I say lift weights, lift heavy weights, because you're going to do a lot more benefits than the chronic pounding on the treadmill. Um, Number one is just not as effective as like a hit type exercise. So I, I would, I would like put them in order. Like, you know, running on the treadmill at a steady state versus high intensity intervals, which would be sprints combined with like a jog or a walk, or the next level would be lifting heavy. And the chronic cardio is what your body's going to adapt to because it's like they goes, now I'm not, this is not scientific explanation, but your body just goes, oh, okay, this is great. This is what you're giving me. I've been working at my current gym for nine years, teaching fitness classes, and I call them cardio queens. They're the ones that are addicted to anything that's cardio. And there's also these people that they sit on the bike for an hour in fat burning mode, you know, air quotes, um, because they think that they're burning fat Mm -hmm. yet most of the time their body doesn't change. And people that used to do like my classes over and over and over, their body didn't change. So their body just adapts to what they're doing and it doesn't it doesn't create enough stress on the body for your body to have benefits. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes sense. And, and the difference in time too. I mean, I've seen people who are on the treadmill for two hours reading a book, you know, doing something else, um, which, uh, tells me a little bit about the intensity of that, uh, versus, um, the high intensity training, which could be a 15 minute, kind of segment of life, you know, of getting in and getting out. So there is also a time saving in this, not just effectiveness, but time saving. Um, You mentioned that for yourself, you uh, ended up with some injuries due to that running your, uh, your head off, I think is the term you used. (laughs) Um, So that takes a while to recover. Uh, There's something though, that kept you doing that. I mean, most of us can see that there's nothing changing, you know, you're, you keep running and, Um, but there's some, some reward to that. And I'm wondering what the reward was for you that kept you on literally the treadmill. Well, I didn't run on the treadmill. I live across the street from a mountain and I ran on the trails because it's beautiful. I loved being out there. 
I would burn through running partners though, because like nobody wanted to do what I was doing. Um, (laughs) and I loved, well, first of all, I loved just being outside and being on the trails, but I also loved the high that I got the endorphin kick that I got after running. And I, like I said, was always chasing skinny. So I just wanted to get thinner. And I thought that the more I ran, the more calories I burned, the more, the thinner I'd end up being. And my body really kind of stayed the same. And I didn't make a lot of changes other than, you know, I'd be in the physical therapist office getting, you know, treatment or chiropractic, or I was just always injured. Mm -hmm. I'd train for a race and then I'd be injured. So it was a, it was just finally one day I was in yoga and I'm like, what am I doing to myself? Like I thought it was just insanity. And so I decided, you know what? I am bow-legged and pigeon-toed. I'm a curvy Italian girl. Like, why am I running? <laughs> and it's funny because like later on, years later, so I just, I ended up reinventing myself and decided to start like lifting and making lifting my focus instead of the chronic cardio. And when I did my 23andMe test, like maybe a year ago, it said that I was built like a power lifter, genetic wise. Is that funny? So... Yeah, and so I think there are some people who are designed for running, uh, but I still wonder if we're ever designed to run uh, the way we in modern world have done it. You know, even if it's on a trail, at least the trail gave you some high intensity interval stuff. You know, if you're up and down, um, I do the trail running because that kind of gives me that difference. But I also recognize that it's um, easy to get. Uh, into the pattern where you say, oh, if I just do more miles, I'll finally uh, kill enough calories to get to where I want to be. Yeah. And most people I know that train for a marathon. So I've did, I did, I don't know, gosh, at least 10 half marathons. And I kept thinking, oh, I need to do a full, then I'll get to that weight. You know, then I'll get thin enough. And it's always been just about 10 pounds. And every time I trained for a full, I'd just beat my body up. And then I was talking to friends in the community. And you know what is crazy is many of them gain weight training for a full. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because there's this the place where you uh, and I think we humans do that. I deserve thing. And so you say, wow, you know, I just ran for two hours. I sure deserve that cheeseburger and that ice cream. <laughs> and you've wiped out any deficit you've created with your calories so since that's not yeah. it, let's talk a little bit about, um, first of all, you, you mentioned a couple of changes in exercise and, and I don't want to just sidestep, but, but I want to include the fact that what you're really looking for is a healthier way of being, not an appearance kind of piece. Right. So there's the uh, kind of self-acceptance piece along with the self-improvement. I want to feel better. I want to do more. That ties in both with the exercise layer and the eating layer. Um, so you've got a, a book. So talk a little bit about that book and what that says about diet. Okay. So that started when my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and Hashimoto's, like literally a week apart. And so I was looking for nutritional protocols to help her that, you know, like sometimes when you have a certain condition, if you avoid like a food group family, like say it's autoimmune and you avoid like the nightshades or, you know, there's different things that would play into it. And that's when I discovered the ketogenic diet. And I think that was like in 2015. And I was like, no way. Like I thought you needed carbs, you know, cause I would do these long races and they'd always 
you know, you'd be doing goos and, you know, bananas and oranges. And I thought you needed all that stuff. So I had a really hard time believing it, but I researched it like crazy. And then I decided to try it. And I was like, wow. And I felt good. And I, I just had such a change in the way I felt. I ended up losing some weight and just had more energy. I sleep better. And so I adopted a loose ketogenic diet. So that means that I mostly eat just like protein and vegetables. And I've always put coconut oil in my coffee, which is kind of strange. And so it was really easy for me to transition to it, but it was just a big, remarkable change. And so I looked at adding fat, which I was fat phobic before, like, you know, I was a Weight Watchers girl, right? So I didn't have avocado or a lot of red meat. Everything was, you know, the fat-free stuff. And when I changed that, you know, I ditched the egg whites and now I just eat the whole egg, you know, um, I just felt better. And so I changed my mentality as far as looking at food as being, you know, low fat and depriving my body versus being high fat and feeding my body. Does that make sense? It does. So let's break that down. So let's compare a uh, keto approach to uh, kind of the normal American diet. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's a loaded question. But how does that change things? A ketogenic diet is a high fat, moderate protein, low carb approach to eating. And I used to eat the opposite, you know, high carb, moderate protein, low fat. And so my proteins basically stayed about consistent, about the same, but I just reversed the pyramid. And what happens is, is in the absence of glucose, your body needs fuel. So it converts fatty acids, both, both ingested and stored into something called ketones. And the reason it was a good protocol for somebody with like my mom with Alzheimer's is because ketones cross the blood brain barrier and actually um, help your brain. And so a lot of the side effects that people find or the health benefits people find being keto is that they have more mental clarity, more focus. And it's been shown to help a lot of brain neurological type conditions. I've interviewed for my podcast, several people with brain cancer. Um, I'm trying to think all kinds of different ailments that people have been able to heal and like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and traumatic brain injury. So different things that will heal your brain. And they've actually shown that you can actually create new brain cells. So that's really beneficial. And oh, and the, of course, the Alzheimer's. So, so the keto diet is actually good. And it makes people mostly feel good if they do it correctly. So I'm more of a paleo keto, meaning that I'm very much into food quality and, you know, I do a lot of organic vegetables. I do grass-fed meat. I have my own chicken, so we have pastured eggs. And I'm very much into food quality instead of just dumping, you know, I, I don't eat a lot of crappy fat. I eat really good, healthy fat. So one of the things, you talked earlier about uh, at one point your parents were doing the Atkins diet. And uh, the Atkins diet was one of those that actually was in the keto realm, but not necessarily in a, a kind of a healthy way, at least back then. I know there have been some 
reattempts at that. But basically, at that point, it was avoid anything that was carbohydrate and everything else was fine. So if you wanted a pound of bacon at one sitting, that was great. If you wanted a dozen eggs at one sitting, that was great. If you, you know, there's a lot of what you needed to do that didn't look at the overall nutrients. Um, so what you're talking about is that uh, the same kind of approach from a healthier perspective. Is that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think eggs are great. Like I think they're fine. And there's a big movement right now for carnivore, which basically they're eating a lot of meat and eggs and anything that comes from an animal and they don't eat any plants. I haven't tried that yet because I live on a farm and we grow a lot of our own stuff. And I like having big salads and stuff, but a lot of people have reported feeling great on carnivore. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not one to, you know, everybody's body's different. So everybody responds differently to different ways of eating. And, but my form of the keto diet is lots of vegetables, lots of protein. And, you know, the fat I add is, would be like, I put oil in my coffee, usually MCT oil or coconut oil. I roast my vegetables instead of steaming them so they taste better. <laughs> you know, imagine that, right? Um, I put full fat dressing on my salad instead of the fat-free or just the lemon juice and vinegar type crap I used to do. And that is amazing. I eat a lot of avocado. So I'm, like I said, I'm. it's more about food quality and micronutrients. So when I make a salad, I don't usually use a lot of lettuce. I hardly never use lettuce. I'm more into like cilantro and broccoli sprouts and cruciferous shred and things that are going to be more nutrient dense than just like a water, like lettuce is basically a lot of water. Yeah. So, so, so let's talk uh, just to back up a little, uh, uh, because a lot of us have been raised on that old pyramid <laughs> that you said you flipped. Um, and the fact is that our body can fuel two different ways. Um, you, right. you talked about that. The ketones are uh, what happens when our body says, okay, there's not carbs. The, it's easy for our body to do the carb piece, which is sugar, which is um, most of what happens when we eat like bread, pasta, you know, all the things that um, – a lot of times is the meal before you run the marathon. <laughs> and yeah. so you cook and you, you're, you're putting a lot of that sugar in your system and the body can burn that. The problem is, <clears throat> um, as I understand it, that when the body can't burn anymore, the sugar code says store the rest of the calories in the body. And the way we store in the body is fat cells, just stuff right. them in. So that's one, one method of fueling. The other is the ketones, uh, which is what you're talking about. Something has to happen in the body in order to make that switch. What does that look like for people? Well, basically, so if I was to, are you asking like, if I was to help somebody get started on keto, what would I recommend for them to do? That would be a great question. So yes, let's assume that's the question I asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. That's what I kind of heard. Mm -hmm. So basically what you want to do is eliminate all of your starchy, sugary, any types of carbs. So get rid of the breads, pasta, potatoes, rice, grains, beans, any of that, just ditch it. And what you want to do is just eat, like I said, fibrous vegetables, protein, and more fat. You can go online. There's keto calculators. I have one on my blog and you can calculate your macros, plug it into my fitness pal. But essentially what you want to do is eliminate the carbs 
and add more fat. Typically people don't eat enough fat. And the most important thing is to make sure that you're drinking a lot of water because without the carbs, your body will flush more. And so you'll lose electrolytes. So you want to make sure that you're replacing your electrolytes. And the way I do it is I have a teaspoon of pink salt in the morning with lemon water. And I eat avocados and spinach, which are my potassium source. And then magnesium, I take about 400, 500 milligrams of magnesium before I go to bed, which relaxes my muscles and relaxes my body. And that seems to help me so that I don't bonk or like get, it's called keto flu where these people, they get symptoms where they feel a little fluish and that's because they need more electrolytes. Some people drink pickle juice, which if you're going to buy pickles, I say get the fermented ones that have no vinegar that you find in the cold box. Like Bubby's is my favorite brand. And so they're true fermented pickles, which will give you that good probiotic and and it will also give you like the electrolytes that you need. And it really does taste good. <laughs> so um, th- that's a lot of, of detail that people might need some help with. And you do have a new book. Uh, I just want to mention the, the book, uh, No Frickin' Way, 21 Days to Ditch the Diet and Lose Weight the Keto Way by Loving Yourself to Health. It's, that's a lot um, uh, crammed into that because you're really talking about doing it for your health, but not from a somebody's judging me for how I'm looking piece. There's that piece that I think is so important. And then there's this, uh, for one, 21 day process Two, that it's about the keto approach. Um, that book would be a great source for people to step into this. Well, yeah, but the book really talks about loving yourself versus deprivation. So in working with clients, what I have come to realize is the issue with food is usually because they're using like they're usually overweight because they use food for filling a void or for emotional support, meaning that they're not overweight just because they're hungry, but they're overweight because they're hungry for something else. Meaning maybe they're eating because they're stressed, which means they're hungry for a stress management program that can help them process the stress. They can stress last maybe they're bored. So they need things to help them when they're bored. Like maybe they need more friends or they need to, when they're bored, do something else other than eat. So take a walk, read a book. But so the 21 days is going to involve 21 different foods to nourish your body and 21 different practices to nourish your soul. And it could be meditation. It could be gardening outside Um, because I want people to realize that food is great to nourish your cells and create a healthy body, but people are using it for emotional support when they should be using other things that are going to actually give them real emotional support. Cause at the end of the day, overeating is going to make you sick and, you know, overweight and unhealthy and unhappy. Yeah, it's so interesting. You talk about that, the fact that we're trying to fill that void or or the emotional support from food. Um, And the way we do that is by putting in foods that put us on a roller coaster. (laughs) Yeah. So um, you grab the uh, comfort foods, which are always carb as far as I can tell. So you get a nice spike in blood sugar. You feel really good, followed by a crash. So Mm -hmm. maybe you felt kind of down and upset about something. You eat the sugar stuff. 
up your mood goes only to have it go further down the next time, meaning you have to then get back on the roller coaster and uh, yeah. go back to support. And so while people are naturally doing those things to fill the void, what you're saying is it's creating a cycle that they're stuck on. Yeah. And yeah. part of uh, what I've watched with the keto stuff is that it flattens out the cycle, you know, that, that there's an even keel once you get past that, um, adaptation that your body's doing your body's so used to you know our, our bodies you talked about the primal approach or the paleo approach which basically says our bodies have been doing this thing for a long time until recently when we started doing this carb loading we whether we meant to or not and so our bodies have gotten so used to the carb loading that we don't do what we naturally would have done in leaner times in olden days um, which is our body then drawing from ourselves. And that has an impact on our emotional life. It has an impact on health, as you noted. Um, you're trying to help people get off that, that roller coaster. Yeah. We talk about that in the book too. The blood, I call it the blood sugar roller coaster where you wake up in the morning. I mean, what's the standard breakfast, cereal, orange juice, toast, you know, it's all the carbs. I actually added it up in there. Um, and the amount of actual sugar that these kids go to school with in their body. And then the teacher expects them to sit still. And it's pretty crazy when you think about like, if it was translated to like soda, how much sugar it is. One can of soda is twice the amount of sugar that, that the government recommends for your body a day, which I have like way less than that. But that blood sugar roller coaster creates a lot of inflammation in your body too, which inflammation, as we know, is the root of many, many degenerative diseases. So, and when you spike your blood sugar like that, that inflammation lasts for a few days. So when you are coasting and being mindful about your food intake, it's crazy to think that yesterday I didn't eat my first meal until three o'clock. And I, I grew up in that whole, you know, three small meals and three snacks a day, eat two, you know, every two to three hours. And you just don't really need to do that. So you're saving time, you're saving money. And then that way, when you sit down to a meal, you're actually able to really enjoy it. And if there's enough fat in it, it will make you so you're not hungry for hours and hours and hours, and you won't get that typical crash. So all of the stuff that we've talked about so far really is true for everybody, for men, women, everybody. What yeah. are some pieces that are true more for women perhaps than men? What's, what, what makes some of the differences there? Well, it depends because I find that women are on the more emotional side of food. And so that is one piece that it's really hard to help them, like to help them see that they need to empower themselves and not think that there's a wagon, not think that it's all or nothing. They're not on a restricted diet, but adopting a new lifestyle. And it's okay that if you decide like, oh, I'm going to the movies, you know, once a month or whatever, and I'm going to have popcorn. And that is okay. It's a lifestyle. It's not a diet. Whereas when they look at it from a dieting perspective, they're either all in or they're all out. And when they're all out, man, they are like going crazy, right? And because they've felt like they've been depriving themselves. And so I just say, give your permission, give yourself permission that if you are going to do something special once in a while, it's okay. Just get right back on on the next meal. And 
not derail yourselves completely that lasts for a week or a month. I also feel that women today have a lot of pressure on them with, you know, trying to run the home, the career, and everything in between, you know, their family demands, like, I'm at the age they call it the sandwich generation where I have aging parents. I still have kids that need me, even though they're in their early 20s. And there's a lot on my plate, but I think that they lose the perspective of nourishing themselves first so they're better able to serve others. So I get a massage every week. You know, I sit out by my pool in the summer every Sunday for just even a couple hours and read a book. So I find that the more we spend time loving ourselves and being mindful to our feelings, like, you know, regularly, we're able to better support and better support ourselves. It is interesting that um, uh, so many times we feel like we don't have time to take care of ourselves, leaving a deficit that's always there. You know, you're, um, I've often used the analogy of, you know, if you've got a well, you've got your well of water and people keep coming by and asking for the water, you keep dishing it out, dishing it out, dishing it out. And suddenly you're, you know, you've got mud at the bottom as opposed to saying, Hey, you know what? I've got to protect this. I've got to make sure that the well is replenished before I keep dumping it out. That's a great analogy. I'm going to steal it. I'm sure I'm not the that. only one who says that. So uh, help yourself. But um, I do think that that is uh, more um, in the women's realm than for men. Uh, men tend to say, hey, I'm going to you know, take care of myself. And women have been taught, I think, in lots of ways. You talked about that lesson um, about skin equals love. And I also think that uh, it's take care equals love. You know, and that that's an extra piece that culture still puts on women in a different way than men. Are there some uh, biological differences in keto or intermittent fasting that apply to women in different ways than it does to men? You know, it depends on your, like your age and your hormone cycle. And if you are at like, you're still menstruating, then carb ups can be really effective to help you. um, Because there's certain times in your cycle that you want to do the carb up Um, and that just has to, you have to feel your way around that and see how, how you feel if you need it. Um, but Leanne Vogel, who I'm a big fan of, she talks a lot about carb ups and how you need to have some carbs once a month. But when you're my age and I usually work with the older crowd, um, you know, that's not necessary. And so I save my carbs for wine typically. And, um, I like to have the, a glass of wine, you know, every, well, pretty much every night, um, because it just mellows me out. But I don't, she's like, I don't need the carb ups. Like I really, really rarely eat anything more than just vegetables or maybe some nuts. So, but for, for hormonal women, yeah, that would be the case. Men, not so much, but I do think it's really okay to give yourself permission to occasionally like, you know, once a month or so to allow yourself to have like some carbs as long. I'm really particular though about gluten, like gluten to me doesn't belong in anybody's diet. And I follow Dr. David Perlmutter. He says about 95% of the people have a gluten intolerance. Don't know about it. That was one of the things that I discovered when I changed my diet. Um, I wasn't setting out to get rid of that. I actually was, um, I had a health crisis years ago. And so after that, I was trying to get into shape, 
nothing was changing. You know, I was exercising, nothing was changing, uh, <laughs> running, doing all that. And finally, uh, made a switch to, um, it was actually Tim Ferriss's slow carb diet, oh, which, yeah. which got rid of everything white, including flour. And, uh, then at some point I ate some bread was a cookie and, uh, realized that I felt horrible. And that's how I discovered that gluten was never going to be, a, it still slips in, but you know, it, I regret it whenever it slips into my diet. Um, and so I think a lot more people are sensitive to that than they know. Um, and I do think that there is a genetic piece that is a little bit different for people to, and to figure out, you know, I like what you said there about kind of feeling your way through it, that we all have to discover what best fuels our body. And your point is if what you're doing isn't working, there might be another way that uh, you can do it rather than say adding another hour to the treadmill or to the you know, run on the road or trail or wherever that if that's not doing it and it's not that there may be another approach. You have a blog. Uh, can you uh, talk about a little bit about how to get to your blog? And then I also know you have something available there. So talk a little bit about what's available for people that go there. Okay, so my blog is High Energy Girl, H I G H Energy Girl. So I've I have a lot of energy. <laughs> and so that's how the blog came about and I also do energy work. So that's kind of what how it's transcended. It didn't start off that way. It's pretty funny. And on my blog, there's a pop-up that comes up. It's called the 21 Day High Energy Transformation Guide. And that is a program that you can get and follow along with a guide that will shift you from a glucose sugar burner to a fat ketone burner. And it also has exercise and some self-care, some mindset. And it's a 21-day guide, and it's really, really you know, meant to help people make a little transformation. And then I also have my book that just came out, No Frickin' Way, W-E-I-G-H, and like you said, it's a 21 day program and that's at highenergygirl.com forward slash book. And then there's a program that they kind of combine the two things. And so that will be shipped email to you that you can check out. So, but it's really about holding people's hands and helping them because it's scary to do it alone. And, you know, I just want to inspire people that, that it's that they're not too old. It's never too late. You can do a complete 180 and completely change the trajectory of your health and your life. And, you know, just don't settle for mediocrity, but know that you're, you were created for greatness. That's a great message. And, and just to kind of highlight that, I mean, this, um, uh, so many times diets feel like you're, um, you're having to deprive yourself. So if you think that a um, nice uh, piece of meat with a lot of vegetables coated in butter, butter and other good stuff is depriving yourself, then that's the depriving that would happen on a keto diet for sure. Um, and so that's something to think about in terms of changing our mindset, that sometimes you can eat a lot more than you thought of the right foods and still find yourself at a healthier, um, even losing weight place. Uh, so the starting point for this, highenergygirl.com. And uh, that would put you into getting that free book. And that's just a, a free way of jumping in and, and trying it out for, I think you said, 21-day process. Yeah. And if you want to just go ahead and jump into the book, then go to highenergygirl.com slash book, and you can find that too. Tracy, thank you so much for being here. 
This is Thank cool. you, Lee. It's great to talk to you. And you as well. And I appreciate you and what you're doing for people and helping them thrive because there's so much, like, like I said, there, you know, we're created for greatness and, you know, there's, there's so much that you can do in your life to just be happier and healthier. So let's go be great. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.